Did that make you guys want to fight a bull? <laughs> That's because that was Matador, Jeff Wayne's theme to the 1982 World Cup, which had no bullfighting in it. I don't know. Oh, it was it was in Spain. I think that was the reason. <laughs> anyway, it might be the best song we're going to hear in this entire episode. Probably so. So welcome to This Is Comp, a series of Discord and Rhyme minisodes where we talk about various artist compilations and box sets, artist by artist, song by song. You can get early access to these episodes by signing up for a monthly donation at patreon.com slash discordpod. And a big, big thank you to everyone who's been supporting us along the way. All right, roll call. Rich Bunnell. John McFerrin. And Dan Watkins. You guys ready for some 80s tunes? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, tunes. good. I'm going to interpret that as good. Because today we are moving on to disc two of the classic UK compilation. Now, that's what I call music with tracks one through seven. So, John, you were the one who suggested this compilation in the first place. and I uh, was. Not to spoil anything for our listeners, but <laughs> you didn't end up with the most sterling patch of songs. <laughs> I got what I deserved. You're reaping what you sowed. <laughs> yes, I did. All right, well, we begin this new disc of the Now compilation with New Edition. This is Candy Girl. My girl's like candy. started uh, john what's your gut reaction to this song in terms of influence i know it's very very subtle hmm well you see there there, there are many different possibilities but for some reason the ones i come back to are the two most famous jackson five songs <laughs> <laughs> yeah abc and the I love you save you no no <laughs> i want you back yes definitely. yeah there's a there is a little bit of the love you save in there sure. anyway yes it, listeners, if your reaction to the song was, hey, this sounds exactly like the Jackson 5, you're not hearing things. Yeah. New Edition's producer, Maurice Starr, explicitly envisioned the group as an updated Jackson 5 with Ralph Tresvant, their lead singer, as the Michael Jackson of the group. And Candy Girl is intentionally a clone of ABC. Like, mm. uh, he didn't just accidentally write it that way. It's meant to be that way. So, Candy Girl, this song hit number one in the UK, but only hit number 46 on the Hot 100, even though it topped the US R&B charts. And uh, listeners to our Motown series will remember that it was pretty common for songs to top both charts sim simultaneously in the 60s and early 70s. But by the early 80s, a lot of wider cultural forces were in play that effectively segregated US radio. So it was much more common to see a huge divide in the charts like this. Now, new addition. They were a quintet consisting of Ralph Tresvant on lead vocals, as we mentioned earlier, uh, backed by Bobby Brown, Ricky Bell, Michael Bivens, and Ronnie DeVoe. They hailed from Boston's Roxbury neighborhood and formed an elementary school, in case you couldn't tell, building a name for themselves by winning talent shows. 
At one of these shows, they caught the attention of producer Maurice Starr, who signed the group to his label Streetwise and put out their first LP, Candy Girl. The group members were all between 13 and 15 when the album came out. And once again, this is where New Edition got crushed by the wheels of industry. I mentioned in the last episode that the Rocksteady crew only saw a few thousand dollars a piece for their big hit single, Hey You, the Rocksteady Crew. Well, New Edition topped that because when they got home from their first major tour, they were dropped off at the projects with a check for $1.87 a piece. Oh, no. And I have a clip of Ricky Bell explaining that whole situation. We did two or three shows a night just hopping from club to club. Mm -hmm. Little kids in these adult clubs. And it was after that run that we came home and got to $1.87. And for us, we like, again, we didn't know. We said, hey, you guys got expenses and, you know, you got to eat and your uniforms and the flights and this and that. And so we just believed whatever they told us. Yeah, so they got screwed. So then the group split with Star and successfully sued Streetwise Records and then signed with MCA Records, who put out most of their other albums to much greater chart success in the U.S., and by all accounts, they didn't get a much better deal with MCA in the in the long run, but they were less cartoonishly blatant about screwing them over than Marie Starr was. So New Edition are a much bigger subject than can be summed up in just one song because they basically set the template for every boy band that came after, including New Kids on the Block, Boys to Men, The Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, and even current South Korean chart toppers BTS. But that'll have to wait for John's BTS episode. Yes, mine. Okay, well, what do you think, John? <sighs> This is your favorite, right? This, nah. this is your favorite of the whole set. No, it really isn't. Here's the thing. I, I don't like to be the originality police. I really don't. But it, if you're going to take elements that are so iconic from very well-known songs, you have to do something like clearly new with them. You have to have a purpose for them other than just saying, hey, we listened to the same songs you did. Because if you do that, what you have is pastiche. And pastiche can be fun, but it can also get really, really obnoxious. And this, yeah, this just did not grow on me at all. I had my initial gut reaction of, oh, this is going to be what it is. And it didn't get any better. Well, I get the sense that this is pure commercialism right here. Like, Marie Starr was not trying to create great art with this. He was literally trying to make, like, a Jackson 5 clone in the most literal fashion possible. And he did. And in a a sense, I respect the the brazenness, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't particularly like it either. But N- New Edition went on to much uh, much greater success in the U.S. with their later albums and much better songs in general. We'll, sa- we'll save that for our New Edition episode, which I don't, I don't want to commit to a New Edition episode. Save me, Dan. Oh, come on. <laughs> Is it going to be your episode, Dan? Ugh, well, that's not must. I guess I could. Um, All right, I'll put it on yeah, the schedule. Yeah, yeah. Five years from now, sure. I might be alive by then. Um I'm I'm always excited to bring in a highbrow film connection to the episodes, and I actually knew this song from the Kevin Smith movie Dogma. <laughs> that movie's because oh, Salma right. Hayek does a strip tease to this song, and when I saw the movie, I assumed it was like a contemporary song. I was I'm surprised it's from the '80s. I thought it was just like this late 90s pop song that was deliberately riffing on ABC. It does kind of sound like a Ween song in that sense, huh? <laughs> it does. It really does. <laughs> oh, I'd probably if like it if it was Jackson a Ween song. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do have a song called Candy. Yeah. That is true. That does not sound like this. No. You, you guys aren't wrong, but I find it hard to 
out and out dislike this. Mm. It's and especially given the other songs in this stretch, this is at least kind of fun. That's fair. These other songs aren't. So I yeah, it's 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 fun. I I, I can live with it. It uh it sounded pretty good in my car on the way to work this morning, so it's been in my head ever since, which is more than I can say for How loud did you play it? Did you did you roll down the windows? I, I, I'm one of those people who is terrified of people hearing what I'm listening to in the car, so no. Yeah, I'm with you. But uh if I were the type, I would totally blast it. Was it just covering up the sound of a rattling muffler and <laughs> you enjoyed it for the psychological effect or what? <laughs> You know me too well. Yeah, as for the rest of the New Edition story, so they've only existed on and off as a recording and touring unit since the late 80s, but all five original members have had some degree of success away from the group. Uh, Bobby Brown, as a lot of people know, became briefly huge as a solo artist in the late 80s with the album Don't Be Cruel, uh, the, the mega hit My Prerogative. And uh, well, the, the main song I know by him is On My Own, the theme from Ghostbusters 2. That's the best song. Yeah. Well, what I love about that song is that like lyrically, most of the song is about his split from New Edition and like setting out on his own. And, and then in the bridge, he raps the plot of Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> <laughs> too hot to handle, too cold to hold. They called the Ghostbusters and the end control. Had a throwing party for a bunch of children. Well, all the while, the slime was under the building. So they packed up and boot, got a grip, came equipped, grabbed their proton packs off the back, and they split. Find out about Beagle, the master of evil. Try to battle my boys? That's not legal. Anyway, Ralph Tresvant also released a reasonably successful solo album in 1990, and Bell, Bivens, and DeVoe went on to form the New Jack Swing trio, Bell, Biv, DeVoe, and their hit single, Poison, is probably the best song associated with any of these artists. It's so good. Okay, well, let's move on to the second song of this set. This is our third Kajagoogoo-related song. The Kajagoogoo-verse. So this is Kajagoogoo proper with Big Apple. hit number eight on UK singles, but it wasn't even released as a single in the United States, at least according to to Discogs.com. So the original Now compilation gives you such a well-rounded history of the fraught relationship between Lamal and Kajagugu, all in the span of one year. So we heard Too Shy, which they released with Lamal. Then we heard Only for Love, which Lamal released after they fired him. And now we have Big Apple, which is the band's first single without Lamal. And again, this all happened within one calendar year, 1983. That must have been such a blur for all of them, a big mullity blur. 
So Big Apple was released as an early teaser single for Kajagugu's sophomore album Islands, which eventually came out in May 1984. With Lamarle out of the band, Nick Beggs takes over on vocals, and his presence on the mic instantly changes the texture of their music. He has kind of an arch ringmaster sort of tone that reminds me a lot of Martin Fry from the band ABC. Show me, show me, show me that you're mine. Show me, show me, give me just one sign. Show me, show me, second that emotion. Show me, show me love. And just as Kajagugu's debut, White Feathers, was a weaker version of Duran Duran's first album, Islands is a weaker version of ABC. Though, to be fair, Duran Duran and ABC were also quite experienced at releasing weaker versions of their own music, so hey. But I don't really have much else to say about this song. It's pretty mediocre. The the music video is pretty fun. It was filmed on location in New York City, the titular Big Apple, as New Yorkers hate when people call it. Uh, And you get a lot of shots of the band hanging out in subway stations, street corners, and the top of a skyscraper. Uh, And you also get to see a lot of Nick Beggs' hair, which can be described as Lamal with dreadlocks. It's pretty unfortunate. (laughs) Uh, But I think after three whole songs, I have officially run out of things to say about Kajagugu. (laughs) Do either of you have anything at all to add? I've got a couple things. Uh, First, the by far the better context in which I have encountered Nick Beggs previous to this was has been as a, a basis to his frequently uh collaborated with steve hackett oh yes yes yeah, he he makes some nice contributions on uh, a couple studio albums and, and live albums uh now as for the song itself i was really trying to rack my brain uh what the instrumental textures uh to this reminded me of i mean again like just throwing the vocals away because they need to be thrown away. <laughs> and, and, and what I, I what I ended up realizing it was tickling my brain is that it kind of reminds me of a, a generic diet off-brand version of Roxy Music in Avalon. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. And like in, in particular, there's a track from the Avalon album uh, called The Space Between um, that reminds me uh, a bit of the instrumental parts in here in terms of Basically, just 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 stabs of keyboards with drums, uh, you know, just kind of floating around, like not quite committing to atmosphere, not quite committing uh, to melody. That they're just kind of existing. The difference is that Roxy Music were good, and like when you when you try to make a, a song that uh, that takes this approach of of just kind of trying to hover in the middle uh, of not entirely atmospheric, not entirely melodic, like you can do it, but there's a long, long downside to it, like and there, and there's somewhat limited upside to it, and. Roxy Music was an insanely talented band yeah. up to the end of, of, of their run, up through the Avalon album, which was incredibly influential, especially in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can't imagine that things from that album weren't rattling around their collective minds. Um, but yeah, that's they're a band that can do this sort of thing well, and this track just bugs me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hadn't considered the Roxy Music influence, but I, I think you're totally right, including how big they were in Britain. Because Ro- Roxy Music are a, 
a, a reasonably well-known cult band in the U.S., but they were a cultural sensation yes. in the U.K. So th- there was no question that that uh, that Kajagugu were familiar with their music. When Avalon sold so many albums in Great Britain, yeah, just a couple years before this. So okay, Dan, you were here for the Lamal song. Uh, so what do you think of this song without Lamal? It's worse. I mean, Lamal <laughs> at least is kind of memorable. This is just so nondescript. Like you see why Too Shy was the hit in the in, in America, and America's having none of this. Like it's just there's nothing to this. Yeah, they they uh, didn't even try to release it in America, as far as I'm aware. Uh, well, I appreciate their uh, <laughs> their <laughs> humility, <or> precaution. <laughs> uh, yeah, as far as instrumental textures, the only thing I have is that it has some nice '80s cop show saxophone. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. I do wonder how noisy his hair is, though, with all those braids in it. He still has some pretty wild hair to this day. I think he uh, he, he just has oh, pigtails at this point. Uh, they're not dreadlocks <laughs> anymore. But mm. yeah, he, he's kept the fire alive. Okay, well, let's go on to the next song. This is Tina Turner covering Al Green's Let's Stay Together. Let me say the sense, baby, since we've been together, who loving you forever. All I need Let me be the one you come running to Stay Together was released in November 1983. It charted at number six in the UK, which was actually Tina's most successful single to date at the time. And it was later released in the US, where it reached number 26 on the Billboard Hot 100, number one on the Billboard Dance Chart. How did it do beyond the Thunderdome? Oh, man. If I had seen the movie, I'd have a good reference. I haven't seen that one either. I've seen the other Mad Max movie several times, but never that one. Just never got around to it. Yeah, I've been told not to bother. By 1983, Tina Turner had already been making music for two decades. She was pretty well established by this point, obviously. And in 1978, she split from her husband and musical partner, Ike Turner, and then spent the next several years trying to rebuild her career as a solo artist. She briefly fell into a bit of a slump as being kind of a nostalgia act until she teamed up with the production team BEF, which is a side project featuring members of Heaven 17, because they are all over the place, apparently. And they did a cover of The Temptations' Ball of Confusion. And while it wasn't a huge hit, it did spark enough interest for Capitol Records to sign her to a new record deal. And she teamed up again with BEF to record this cover of Al Green's Let's Stay Together. You make me feel so great. 
turned out to be just a big surprise hit that pretty much ushered in her 80s comeback, which of course culminated in her star turn in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, as we mentioned. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, Let's Stay Together by Al Green is about as perfect a soul record as you can hope to find. It's so good. So it's kind of unfair to pit this slicked up 80s interpretation against it. And I'm kind of surprised that this was such a sensation that this is what revived her career. And it actually charted one place higher than Al Green's original in the UK. You know, the 80s were a different time, I guess. As far as her recording, she does sound great here. And, you know, it's let's say together, so it's hard to be awful. But I'm just not nuts about the arrangement here. The one touch I do kind of like is the whether times are good or bad bit where it has this really scronky saxophone blended in with it. But other than that, it's it's perfectly fine, but I don't really need this to replace Al Green's original. Yeah, I don't, I don't love the new arrangement, but I think it's interesting. I, I think the interesting aspect of it is that they flipped the first and second verses of the original song. Uh, and it ma- so it makes it so that the, f- that the famous opening line, I'm so in love with you shows up after the drop, uh, which gives it a nice mm. sense of drama. But uh, otherwise it's really hard to compare to the Al Green song, just because that song is such a towering classic. Yeah, it's not exactly the talking heads covering take me to the river. No. <laughs> in terms of redoing Al Green. John, you're shaking your head. What do you think? I, I mean, yeah, the, the original song is great. Um, I don't really have strong feelings about Tina Turner uh, one way or the other. Um, I've never – I haven't heard that much uh, from her. So this is the first time I'd heard this cover. I mean, I, I, I don't hate that it exists. I, like, I understand that, like, soul covers around this time were probably going to sound like this. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it made her money. I, I will mm-hmm. probably never listen to this cover again. Well, I, th- I think it's worth listening to as part of the album because I, I actually listened sure. to the accompanying full-length album for every song in the set. Uh, and for most of these songs, this was a really big waste of time. But mm-hmm. uh, it did mean that I finally got to listen to Private Dancer, which is one of those like 80s mega-hit albums with a bunch of different singles on it that I'd never gotten around to listening to. And, and it, in addition to this cover, she also does a, a pretty neat cover of... 1984 by David Bowie, and I brought a little clip of that. Well, that would be fun. (laughs) Really? Man. Oh, why couldn't this be on the set? I kind of like that. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, it's good. The The international edition also has a cover of Help by the Beatles, and I didn't choose to clip that one because it is horrible. Yeah, no one needs that. Mm. Yeah, but I don't have much further to say about it. It's Let's Stay Together. What's, what's funny to me is that Let's Stay Together wasn't really that old of a song at the time. It was just 12 years old. Yeah. Like, this is the equivalent of someone today covering a big hit from 2009, such as, say, Boom Boom Pow by the Black Eyed Peas. Boom, 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 gotta get that. Boom, 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 gotta get that. Boom, boom. Or I got a feeling by the Black Eyed Peas. I got a feeling. <laughs> that was for you, Dan. Man, somebody's really sleeping on this. Gosh, <laughs> get out there. Yeah, seriously. Come on, Lamal. This is your comeback. <laughs> oh God. Okay, let's go on to the Human League with. You know, I haven't done this in a while. Open parentheses. Keep feeling. 
close parentheses, fascination. Feeling Fascination peaked at number two on UK singles and number eight on the Hot 100. This was a transatlantic hit. So we talked a little bit about the Human League in the first episode of this series because founding members Ian Craig Marsh and Martin Ware left the group in 1980 to form the band Heaven 17. And as Dan just said, Martin Ware was one of the people who produced Let's Stay Together by Tina Turner. Everything is connected. So this led to a lot of reshuffling at Human League HQ. Singer Philip Oakey and Philip Adrian Wright, who was formerly responsible for the band's visuals, both learned how to play keyboards, and the band also recruited singers Susan Ann Sully and Joanne Catherall, keyboardist and bassist Ian Burden, and guitarist, keyboardist, and vocalist Joe Cathis. And for those keeping count, that's six members, four of whom play keyboards. I love the 80s. <laughs> so the Human League weren't the first band to use synthesizers, but they were the first synth-driven band to score big on the charts, and their success led to a whole wave of UK synth groups that were dubbed the Second British Invasion by critics in the United States. As all of us geriatric millennials remember, there was a huge backlash against synthesizers in the 90s when, you know, everything had to be real, man. Uh, but they've come back with a vengeance from the 2010s onwards. So you can make an argument that the Human League are low-key kind of one of the most influential groups in recent music history. That said, for all that I adore synthesizers, and I adore them a lot, I've always liked the Human League more in theory than in practice. The only album of theirs that I love is their 1981 album, Dare which contains their chart-topping smash hit, Don't You Want Me. Feeling Fascination comes from a follow-up EP called Fascination, with an exclamation point, uh, that they released as a stopgap. And even though I have a lot of nostalgia for the song, I admit that it's pretty annoying. <laughs> uh, I first heard the song when an online friend of mine sent me an MP3 in the late 90s, and I thought that high-pitched synth line was supposed to be a joke. But nope, it's a sincere part of the song. It was meant to be that way. What I do like about the song is that, to borrow a term from hip-hop, it's kind of a posse cut, uh, featuring four rotating vocalists, including Philip Oakey, Susan Ann Sully, Joanne Catherall, and a rare vocal spot from Joe Callis, who sings the first line. They trade off after almost every line in the song, like a relay race, and the effect reminds me of Prince's 1999, which, it must be said, is a much better song than this. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> that having been said, uh, Dan, what do you think? You know, it's funny, like, this is a song that I primarily know 
from hearing like seven second long clips and best of the eighties. It is one of those. Yeah. And I don't know if I ever heard the song in its entirety until like maybe a couple of years ago. So it's actually not beaten to death for me, like a lot of other eighties songs. And I, I like it. Okay. It's, as far as like 80s party playlist stuff goes, this is definitely like second tier, but I still like it. I like the little keyboard hook. It's it's catchy. And like you said, I do like the the trade off of the uh, the vocalist. And it's funny is in the video, you kind of see the lead singer like really struggling to, to, to sing out of his vocal range to hit the low bits. <laughs> it's clearly not in his range, but, uh, but I, I, mean, I like this. Okay. I, um, it's a little like, uh, no, no, not grading. That's not the word, but uh, I can see how it might be a bit annoying, but it's still got a freshness to it that I kind of like. The music video is fun. I mean, they have a lot of energy and they're clearly having a lot of fun singing it. Uh, my favorite part is the opening shot of it, which is a, it's like a picture of a of a map with a with an orange "You Are Here" dot on yeah. it. And as it zooms in, it changes into an aerial shot. And the orange dot is like an entire section of the street that's been painted orange, including the apartment block. It's pretty fun. I love seeing these 80s England videos. It's very, I don't know, it's very interesting to see that kind of frozen in time. Mm -hmm. So the thing that I like most about this song is when you have that ridiculous, uh, you know, forced low vocal that ascends from the bottom, it almost kind of reminds me of Larry Graham's vocal function and a lot of Sly and the Family Stone tracks. Huh. You just have the high pitch the high pitch vocals and do, 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 do. Oh yeah. Huh. Like so th- that was something that caught caught my ear. Like, I have no idea if if that means anything. Um but it but it did make me have at least a little bit of uh, feel a little endearment towards it. Having said that, it's it's not much of a track otherwise. Um like it, it, it feels like a track where like the the constituent parts are there to be rearranged or, or cannibalized into songs that I would like, but just the way that it, it all comes together, it, it doesn't quite entirely do it for me. And yet, it's not one of my least favorite in this batch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I said, the the Human League mostly exists in my mind so that the rest of the synth pop genre could exist, and also so the magnetic fields could exist. They were a huge influence on them. That's and, true. That that that, mm-hmm. it, that does that that does have a lot in common in terms of the the four the, the the low pitched vocal does have a lot of merit in it. Okay, that having been said, let's go on to the next song, which is new song. Not by the Who, John, Aww. sorry. This is by Howard Jones. I need a new song.
First off, if I'm not mistaken, there appears to be an elephant in my room, and we need to address it. (laughs) So, New Song is a very good, very charming early 80s pop single, but calling it a new song is a stretch because it's basically Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel. Yep. Oh, my God. Climbing up on Salisbury Hill I could see the city light Wind was blowing, time stood still That went right past me. It is 100% Salisbury. Wow. Yeah, this has not gone unnoticed. And when Howard Jones performs solo acoustic shows today, he'll often mash the two songs together as a self-winking joke. And oh, I, I, tried, I tried to find a clip, but I couldn't. It's a, There's not a very active Howard Jones bootlegging community out there. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> New song reached number three on UK singles and actually was a modest hit in the States, hitting number 27 on the Hot 100. I actually used to hear this song all the time on a short-lived 80s alternative station in the Silicon Valley called 104.9, Music for the Rest of Us. And I was one of the rest of us, so I listened to that (laughs) station. Um, And they regularly rotated this song, uh, as well as his hits What is Love, which uh, no relation to the Roxbury Guys song. And Things Can Only Get Better, which our listeners may know better as Whoa, 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 whoa. Howard Jones was born in Southampton, England to Welsh parents, and by his teens, his family had relocated to Canada, where he formed a progressive rock band called Warrior. And yes, I do have a clip of that. Oh no. Yeah, it's the kind of perfectly serviceable prog rock you would expect someone in his teens to make. So Warrior was heavily influenced by Genesis and especially Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And Jones cites and Jones actually cites Keith Emerson as one of his primary keyboard influences. And now that this influence has been pointed out to me, I can actually kind of hear it on new song in those arpeggiated keyboard runs during the bridge. After moving back to Southampton, Jones split his time between music and working a day job at a cling film factory, and the video pays homage to that. Uh, He eventually caught the attention of legendary BBC Radio 1 DJ John Peel, which started a chain of events that led to a deal with WEA Records in England and Elektra Records in the US. New Song was the first single from his debut album, Humans Lib, and it serves as a message of encouragement to his fellow working class stiffs that no matter your life circumstances, you can, quote, throw off your mental chains and achieve your dreams if you work hard enough. Which sounds cornball as fuck, but like everything else about Howard Jones, it's delivered with complete sincerity. There is not an iota of irony to this song. It might be the most modest, unassuming song on the entire compilation. It has none of the trappings of stardom, no posturing. It just sounds like a friendly guy walking down the street to shake your hand. And it is, for me, it is by far the best song in this set. John, what do you think? You're, you're nodding your head this time, so I think you agree. I am. I mean, it's it's Salisbury Hill mashed up with Keith Emerson mini moves. Of course, I'm going <laughs> to like it. I, I'm, a very, I'm a very simple man. But the thing is, like, you know, it, it would be it would be one thing, like if 
like if you took that basic song structure and you you use the the keyboards in a way that wasn't appropriate for the song but the keyboard breaks in here are very appropriate for the song like they're they're well balanced with the verses and with, and with just the the general structure of the song like he he does what he needs to uh within the bars that are uh, logically provided to him he gets in he gets out and there's they, they provide a nice bit of texture to the song so yeah i i genuinely enjoy this one i mean i don't know how often i'll, I'll seek it out but yeah it's by far my favorite of, of this batch yeah you, you mentioned that there was one song in the set that you loved yep. that, mm-hmm. or that you at least liked earlier yeah. on and I, I guess that it was this one i'm a very simple man <laughs> oh no you're not john uh dan what do you think yeah i like the sound of it i, I like the keyboards but the melody itself doesn't quite get over the hump to being anything super memorable for me but again, with this batch of songs, a three-star song is, is a winner. Uh, <laughs> and I am disappointed that in the video, if, if he's such a Keith Emerson fan, that he didn't just jam a knife in his guitar mm. as a tribute. Yeah, that that is a major failing of the video. Yeah, um, I, I, I do like the uh, I do like the literalization of the throw off your mental chains. Though there's a guy <laughs> dancing in chains behind him for the entire video. I was surprised by his, he has like kind of a Johnny Lydon esque hairstyle in the video, which. I always saw him as like kind of a more preppy looking adult contemporary type of guy. I guess he was a little more edgy in this earlier period. He's he's a very modest guy with very big hair. I think he just couldn't escape that in the 80s, hmm. as, as we know from Kajagugu. <laughs> okay, shall we return to UB40? Yes. No. All right. This is Please Don't Make Me Cry. Say you're gonna leave me. I'm begging you to stay. Make Me Cry, charted at number 10 on the UK singles chart. Now, we previously discussed UV40 with Rich's favorite song, Red Red Wine. and Favorite. And this is the follow-up single from the same album, Labor of Love, which is an album that's entirely of uh, reggae cover songs. While Red Red Wine was originally a Neil Diamond song, UV40 based their cover on a reggae interpretation by Tony Tribe, and that's basically what's a cover of. And for this song, they turned to yet another Trojan Records recording artist, Winston Groovy, who recorded the song in 1970 originally. Mellotron. They removed yeah. a Mellotron. <laughs> so my initial impression of the UB40 song was that, hey, this is better than Red Red Wine. It's at least not actively grating. It's pleasant enough. But then I heard the original. And I just don't understand what their fascination is with taking kind of 
colorful, enthusiastically perform reggae songs and just flattening them into the most dull, lifeless arrangements. It's just, I, I, it perplexes me. I mean, and I'm not expecting to drag out a Mellotron and a Clavinet in 1983, but I mean, I, I just don't get it. I don't know why they do this. Yeah, um, well, it, it's like their whole thing, because uh, uh, it's a well that UB40 have returned to multiple times. They released Labor of Love 2 in 1989, 3 in 1998, 4 in 2010, uh, and a real Labor of Love in 2018. And uh, it, well, I, what, I do, what I do like about it is that they've gradually moved chrono- chronologically forward across the volumes to cover newer and newer reggae music. So uh, they, they really have a lot of legit knowledge of and love for the genre. They just happen to perform like a form of it I don't care for at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind them covering reggae songs as their their gimmick, but just why are you going to make them so boring? Mm-hmm. Uh, John, what do you think? There's a term that I, I try not to abuse uh, when I... When I'm when I'm writing things for my site or in other contexts when I'm I'm doing critical things, and that term is music for people who don't like music. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the, just how you really feel, John. I mean, this is the this is the type of thing you just put in the background, just yes. solely just to be just to be wallpaper. Uh, to to you, you want it there so that nobody notices it, and that's its only function. Like you know, Dan, as you said, like this idea of taking everything and beyond like the, the most functional aspects of music and, and just methodically stripping it out of, of color and arrangement of, of doing anything to like have any rough edges whatsoever. And I can see where in certain contexts, if your specific goal is like as a, I don't know, as an, as an artistic statement about, I don't know how, how soulless the world is or something like that. Like I could see like we're doing that as a deliberate thing could work, but if you're doing it, just be like, Oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to make this as bland as possible. So it is as inoffensive to as many people as possible so that people are like, ah, I don't mind hearing this. I'm I'm not really okay with that. So yeah, I, I do not like this one at all. But it sounds good on a clock radio yeah. in your cubicle. Good. <laughs> There's a market for that. I do like this one a lot more than Red Red Wine, and that, that mostly means it doesn't actively irritate me. It just it kind of just bottoms out at forgettable. I, I like the dub <laughs> style bass line, and that's really about all I have to offer. You're right. You're right, John. They just remove all of the rough edges, anything distinctive from the music. Uh, I actually put in the work this time, and I listened to all of the Labor of Love album for this episode, and uh, I, I didn't really care for it, but I also don't remember anything about it. Yeah. It's just completely forgettable. I, I mean, I, I appreciate the thought of paying tribute to so many classic uh, reggae artists, but uh, that's about all I can say about it. I'd rather hear a compilation of the songs that they covered. Yes. That would be a far better co- collection, I think. Like you played that original, ver- you, you played that version from Winston Groovy earlier, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like... I, it wouldn't be my favorite song or anything, but it's clearly like somebody who put care into the various details of what they put in. And they stripped out a Mellotron. That makes me cry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's finish off this set with two singers for the price of one. This is Peebo Bryson and Roberta Flack with Tonight I Celebrate My Love. And boy, do they celebrate it. Tonight I celebrate. Our spirits will be glad. 
So that was quite a grand finale for this set, huh, guys? Sucks. So this reached, oh, yeah. <laughs> so this reached number two on UK singles and number 16 Hot 100, and it was written by Michael Masser and Jerry Goffin, the classic Brill-building lyricist and the former Mr. Carol King. So who are the two fine voices we just heard? Roberta Flack is a legendary soul singer who topped the U.S. charts several times in the 70s with The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, Killing Me Softly with His Song, and Feel Like Making Love, not to be confused with the Bad Company song. Do not confuse the two. As for Peebo Bryson, if you're not familiar with his name, you've almost certainly heard his voice on this song. And this song. A whole new world, a new fantastic point of view. Wow. Yeah, and those are the credits versions of the songs, uh, but not the ones that actually play in the movie proper, the ones that got played on the radio. He duetted with Celine Dion on Beauty and the Beast and with Regina Bell on the Aladdin love theme, A Whole New World. And that's Peebo Bryson's thing, duets. His full recording name is basically Peebo Bryson and. He's duetted with artists including Natalie Cole, Minnie Ripperton, and Chaka Khan. And Tonight I Celebrate My Love is the opening track of an entire album of duets with Roberta Flack titled Born to Love. So when I say I listened to the full album for every song in this set, I meant it. I listened to Born to Love. And Born to Love is an album you can probably find on a beat-up LP for five cents at Goodwill. But it's not horrible. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, it, the thing the thing about it is that in the late 70s and early 80s, Los Angeles was absolutely swarming with talented session musicians who honed their skills playing on like every album you could think of. And some of those albums ended up being Asia by Steely Dan and Off the Wall by Michael Jackson. And some of them were Born to Love by Peebo Bryson and Roberta Flack. So uh, the band on Tonight I Celebrate My Love consists of Randy Kerber on acoustic and electric piano, Paul Jackson Jr. on guitar, Nathan East on bass, and Carlos Vega on drums. And these are all virtuosos here. Uh, Nathan East in particular is one of the most recorded bassists in popular music, and he actually played the bass line on Get Lucky by Daft Punk. And that kind of applies to the whole album. Uh, as As the podcast Beyond Yacht Rock would put it, this album has, quote, bonanza personnel, because Capitol Records just threw everything they had at it. So, yeah, this is a song that contains the lyrics, tonight our spirits will be climbing to a sky filled up with diamonds, and best of all, tonight there will be no distance between us. (laughs) Subtle, guys. 
Uh, but I have a lot of respect for the critical mass of musicianship that went into this corny bedroom music, and that's about the best I can say about it. So, uh, John, why don't you start? I will give it credit. It is it is not in the least deceptive about what it is or what it is trying to do or what its purpose <laughs> is. Uh, and then, so from that angle, yeah, I can re- I can respect the craftsmanship. It is as far from what I would go out of my way to listen to as almost can possibly be, but I won't begrudge people who would put this on in the background for specific functions. And that is what I have to say about it. Flossing. Yes, exactly. Doing dishes, walking the dog. Yes. Dan, you love this one, right? Uh, 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 hmm. Yeah. (laughs) John basically stole my, if you had a, a definition of not my thing, this would be pretty, this would be on the list. It's just, you know, I, I don't, it's just so outside of what I would normally listen to. I don't even know how to judge it. It's just mm-hmm. out of my vocabulary of, of, <laughs> of music. It's, 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 it's boring. I, I find this really boring. It's yeah. Scary. I have to admit, I was challenging myself to find all of the nicest possible things I could say about this song. Cause I, I really do hate being mean to songs, but yeah, and this, this I mean, is not my thing. But. And I don't want to be disrespectful to a genre I still understand or don't really have any experience with, but it's just not for me. What's your favorite Disney theme? Um, what's the, the French song from little mermaid that the, the chef sings? Oh, I, I don't know. The one, the one, the one sung by Rene Aubergenois. Odo from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. There, I got a Star Trek sure. reference into this episode. <laughs> the soundtrack to Moana is fantastic. It is, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. I like the songs from The Emperor's New Groove. That one's good. Anyway, uh, so are we done here? Yes. Yes. We are finally done. We, we made it through that set, guys. Oh, hallelujah. My problems are solved. <laughs> you both are troopers. Okay, that does it for this set. Join us next time for the fifth and final installment of this series where we'll hear a much better set of songs from Genesis, The Cure, Simple Minds, Madness, and Tracy Ullman. They're just handing the Simpsons reference to us on a silver platter this time. What do you call this record with all these songs? This is Kong. Yeah, yeah. This is Kong. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening to This Is Comp, a subsidiary of the Discord and Rhyme podcast. You can hear back episodes of this series and our regular album-focused episodes at discordpod.com. And you can also subscribe to Discord and Rhyme on your podcast app of choice. This closing theme is performed by Kenneth Crayley and is based on the song This Is Pop by XTC, originally written by Andy Partridge, a songwriter who, as far as I'm aware, appears zero times in the entire Now That's What I Call Music series. You can find Ken's music at bandcamp.com. Editing and production is by me, Rich Bunnell. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks, and in the meantime, keep as cool as you can.